And we are, are uh, in a series on the Revelation. It's Easter Sunday, and this, I promise, will be an, an Easter Sunday morning message like you have never heard. I promise you that it'll be different, but it's going to be good. And, I wouldn't, uh, and, I, and I'll say this, we're, we're de- demystifying the book of Revelation. People are afraid of, of the book of Revelation, but it, it should be for all of us a, a book with great hope. The, 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 I'm, I'm, I've been studying this for months, and it's, it's just giving me encouragement, it's giving me hope, and it's exciting stuff. And we're going to leave here excited about the purpose of God. How many of you look at the world and you're very skeptical, skeptical, you're very nervous about everything that's transpiring, maybe even fearful, there's a little bit of trepidation about everything that you're seeing on the news? Anybody? Is that just me? When you, when you look at everything that's going on, it, it can be. But when you start to look what, about what, what God's word says, it, it gives us, it fills us with great hope. Amen? We don't have to fear the future. And we're going to leave here with that confidence today. And we're going to understand our purpose. We're going to walk out of here. Because of Easter, we're going to understand purpose. Because of the resurrection, we're going to understand our purpose. So there's a little bit of a, a preview. All right, so I said it. We're getting into the book of Revelation. We're studying the book of Revelation this month. And we're not trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, where Babylon is, what the mark of the beast is, or any of these other things that we always focus on when we get into Revelation. And we miss the important points of what this book is really all about. The Bible promises us that there's a blessing when we read, hear, and obey what's written in the book of Revelation. And unfortunately, so many Christians are intimidated. They don't understand it. They're afraid because it's mystical. It's you know, apocryphal-type writing. Uh, you know, what, are the, what are the insects, giant insects coming out of the ground and stinging men? What is that? And they get scared. But hey, as believers... We don't have anything to fear. Am I, am I saying you're not going to die or that, that, that we're not going to see things that are terrifying in this world? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we don't have anything to fear. We don't. This is, a, this is a book of promise for the believer because it is a picture of Jesus Christ and his kingdom coming to planet Earth. There's all kinds of scary things going on out there, but we know how this ends. Go and read. I just, if, if you need encouragement to read the book of Revelation, go and read the last two chapters. Read chapter 21 and 22 about how this thing ends in heaven, on earth, in the new Jerusalem coming down. The, the, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. You'll reach your hand into a, into a snake hole without fear of being bit. There'll be no more dying, no more sickness, no more disease. This thing is going to end in a glorious way. And it's because of redemption. The Bible is a redemption story. From beginning to end, it's this, the story of man's fall and God redeeming him. Not, and not only redeeming man, but redeeming this entire planet. Because it was tainted with the sin of man. This, the Bible is a, is a story of redemption. And we're going to see that today. Before we get into the word of God, I want you to understand that there's, there's something that significant happens when the word of God is preached. It's more than just preaching to people sitting on pews. In the heavenlies, something transpires. When the word of God is declared, whether it be in a church building like this, out in an open, open air service, if you're meeting in a cave, if you're meeting and having church in a, a movie theater, wherever the word of God is being declared, something supernatural transpires. The preacher is not just preaching to people. The preacher is literally preaching to principalities and powers. When the word of God is declared, things move and, and change and transpire I believe in heavenly realms. And our de- we are declaring to principalities and powers that they are utterly defeated and their reign on planet earth is soon coming to an end. That's what happens. Supernatural things transpire whenever we stand and declare a man or woman of God stands and declares the word of God. Supernatural things transpire. The preaching of God's word is vitally, vitally important. I want to encourage you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read in uh, Revelation chapter 5. Let's stand together to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to talk about the Lamb of God today. We're looking at the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is one of the most Christocentric books in the Bible. There is so much said about Jesus and who he is and what his purpose is 
in the book of Revelation. And sadly, most Christians don't get into the book, like I said, because of intimidation. And we're going we're gonna to demystify it. We're going we're gonna to help you to fall in love with this book and see the glory of it, the beauty of it. I've been studying this for months. And the more and more I read, the more I love it and the more encouraged I am. And the more clarity I'm getting of, of what the, the intent of the book is. Again, don't read it looking to understand all the symbolism and uh, you know, wh- who's the Antichrist. Don't read it for that. Look at the purpose, which is the, really the culmination, the completion of God's plan of redemption for mankind. That's really what this book is about. We're going to talk about Jesus, the Lamb of God. We're going to read in, in Revelation chapter 5. You could turn there if you've got your Bible. We're going to look at the Lamb of God. But it, the Lamb of God really is, is one of the, the most prominent names used to identify Jesus in, in this book. In this book, we see the wrath of God that comes from the Lamb of God against the wicked. Judgment is coming to the wicked, and it's going to be the wrath of the Lamb executing God's judgment on all those who oppose him. We see the Lamb of God shepherding the righteous. And by the way, the righteous are present throughout this entire book. And the Lamb of God is their shepherd. We see the Lamb of God leading the 144,000, and that's most likely probably not what you've been told it is. That's 144,000 Jewish men from the 12 tribes that come to faith in Christ and declare his testimony. That's what that is. Uh, We also see uh, that those who have victory over the beast are seen singing the psalm, the the song of the Lamb of God. That's the song that they're singing. In their triumph over the enemies of God, the people of God, the righteous, sing a song about the Lamb of God. We also see the the ten horns that are going to rise in power they're going to go against the war. They're going to war against the Lamb of God. So we, and this is just some of what we see, some glimpses of what we see going on around the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's a central figure. And one of the main revelations that God gives us about Jesus is that he is the Lamb of God. We're going to read it in this fifth chapter. What do, what do we mean? I, I want to read one verse in Isaiah before we read this fifth chapter. What does it mean when we talk about the Lamb of God? Isaiah says it in Isaiah 53, verse 70, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. This is prophetic utterance about the Son of God. He would be oppressed and afflicted, yet he would not open his mouth. He would be led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. This is the prophetic utterance. This is what it means, the Lamb of God. The Lion of Judah becomes, and we're going to see it in this chapter, Revelation chapter 5, the Lion of Judah becoming the Lamb of God. How did the Lion become the Lamb? He chose willingly to go like a sheep to the slaughter, to die in our place for our sin and our transgression. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him, him who sat on the throne... A scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, worthy, uh, who, who, I'm sorry, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And then he came and he took, out, took the scroll out of his right hand, out of the right hand of him who sat upon the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of it, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll 
and to open its seals, for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, can you imagine this great host? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him whose lives, I'm sorry, who lives forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. As I said, the Bible is a story of redemption. It opens in Genesis with the fall of man, and it concludes in the book of Revelation. Man restored to God, in right relationship with God. Man who had been kicked out of the garden, now in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, in the city of God, having fellowship, restored with God because of the plan of redemption. The Bible calls Jesus the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, this was his plan. Before he ever laid the first foundation stone of this universe, God saw Jesus, the lamb of God, the son of God, slain before the foundation of this world. It was God's plan. It's the story of redemption. The Bible is a love story. God set man in the garden. He was the centerpiece of the garden. He was the apple of his eye. He was the focus of his creation. Everything, in fact, when you study creation, everything in creation is building an atmosphere, an environment that would be hospitable for this man that God was going to create so that he could have fellowship with him. Man was God's purpose. Man was God's intent. Yet man rebelled and sinned against God, allied himself with Satan, and sinned against his creator disobeyed the one command that his God had given him, disobeyed the one command that his creator had given him. And from the very beginning in Genesis, God gives a promise, I'm going to send a redeemer. Even in their attempts to hide their sinfulness, they covered themselves with leaves, and God said, no, 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 that's not good enough. He brought animal skins to them, and it's a picture that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's going to have to be a price paid for the redemption. It's going to be the blood of the Lamb of God. From the very beginning, God is pointing us to the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. This was God's plan. This was God's plan A, and he's never had a plan B. God was not caught off guard by Adam and Eve's actions. He saw this before it ever happened. God saw us sitting in this sanctuary today. Before the foundation of the world, there's nothing that God did not know. There was nothing that God did not understand. Nothing catches God off guard. And his plan A is being executed. And it's this plan, this beautiful story of redemption. The Bible is a story of redemption. And so what we see unfolding in the book of Revelation really is the culmination of that plan. It's the completion of it. It's all of God's enemies being vanquished and put under his feet. It's the Lamb of God ruling from his throne in Jerusalem forever and ever. That's what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. And as believers, we have nothing to fear because we are a part of God bringing his kingdom to planet Earth. I want you to see that. It was, it's very, very clearly, you may have missed it, but it's very clearly laid out in this passage of Scripture that we read today. This is uh, a strategic uh, part of this letter and the fact that this, this book that's sealed with seven seals is brought and there's, there's no one that is worthy to open this book, it's a very, very significant thing. We talked about last week that if we've got a, a question about the Bible, the best place to find the answer is in the Bible. Amen. How many of you have ever wondered what was in this book? 
How many of you have ever, just raise your hands, you've heard a sermon about what was in the book? I heard all kinds of things. I heard that it was prophecy. I've heard all, all types of stories. The elders, the angels, they were upset because there were prophecies in there that they desired to look into, but that no one was there to open the book. That's why they were upset. What is the meaning of this book that's sealed with seven seals, written on within and without? What's the meaning of it? Again, if you've got a question about the Bible, where's the best place to find your answer? In, in the Bible. If we're going to figure out what that seven-sealed book is, we've got to look within the Bible and find a similar document. And we find that in Revelation, or I'm sorry, in Jeremiah chapter uh, 32. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 6. Now listen, there, there's weeping in heaven because there's nobody that was found worthy to open the book. Why did they weep? Was it just because there were some prophecies in the book that they really wanted to see? Is that why they wept? Now I'm going to suggest to you there was something greater in this book that caused them to weep. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 32, I think we find the answer. In, in our chapter 30, 32, verse 6, Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalem, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in enough, for the right of redemption. You see that? The right of redemption is yours to buy. And we're going to go back and we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5 and we're going to see that that word redemption is, is in this letter. It's, it's throughout uh, the, the, this fifth chapter of Revelation. Jeremiah's cousin, Hanamel, is asking him to buy back the field that he had forfeited. We don't know how he lost it. Maybe he gambled it away. Maybe he had took a, a debt that he wasn't able to pay. And so his, his property being mortgaged against it, he was about to lose that property. We don't know what, what it was that brought him to the point that the Bible doesn't say, but he's at a point where he is about to lose his land, his inheritance. And he's asking his cousin, by the law of the near kinsman redeemer, how many of you all are familiar with that? It's a whole other lesson we can't teach right now. But it's a law and a custom of their times that if you were a near kinsman, you had the right to purchase their inheritance. And so by law, this cousin who's about to lose his property is going to his cousin Jeremiah and saying, hey, I'm about to lose my property. Will you get me out of trouble here? Will you buy this inheritance? Will you buy this piece of land, this possession that I'm about to lose? Because the right Legally, the right of redemption is yours to buy. And it's explained here. Hanamel, my cousin's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, please buy my field that isn't enough, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in and off and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it. See, this is, this is legal action. A legal document was sealed so that the contents within could not be tempered with. That when, when it came time to, to sell that uh, piece of property, that the deed was, was concealed and sealed within that document and the, the legal official could open and break that seal and then read the proper deed of, of inheritance. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? So I signed the deed and sealed it and took witnesses, another important uh, concept from the book of Revelation, and, and weighed the money on the scales. And so I took the purchase deed that, that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, Baruch the, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin's uncle, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I char charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both the purchase deed which is sealed and the deed which is open. Remember we, the, 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 the document in Revelation, it was written within and without. 
See, on the outside of the document, all of the uh, details of that deed were written. Right? So you could know what you're buying. But then they would crack the seal to confirm that what was written on the outside was accurate and hadn't been tampered with. Are you following with me? Are you tracking with me? So I'm, I'm showing you this, and we're going to get to a point with it in just a second. I charged Berg before, before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be uh, 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 possessed again in this land. So we're seeing something here that this book has significance. And if if we're going to say with with the the proper hermeneutic, the the proper, proper discipline of studying scripture, that the best place to find an answer about something in the Bible is in the Bible, then we understand that this book in Revelation is similar or the same as what we see in Jeremiah chapter 32. It's a book sealed, and it is a deed. What we're looking at at this book in Revelation chapter 7 is the lost inheritance. Adam was given dominion. He was given authority over all of the earth, and he squandered it. He lost his inheritance, but his near kinsman, Jesus. There was weeping in heaven because there was no one found worthy to open the book. There was no one. But behold, the Lamb of God, for he has prevailed. Behold, the Lamb of God, for he is worthy. And unto him shall be declared glory and honor and riches and power forever and ever. Amen. What we have in the Lamb of God is someone who is able to buy back the lost possession of Adam, the lost inheritance of mankind. If it weren't for Jesus, what God intended for mankind to have would have been lost and squandered forever. That's the picture here. And then what we see unfolding throughout the rest of the book of Revelation is the usurper, the one who has come in and stepped in man's place and taken authority and dominion, is being removed by the bowls and the trumpets and all the things that we're going to see coming throughout the book. He's removed. New Jerusalem comes down. And we have heaven on earth. All things made new. Creation and every element of it turned inside and out because it's redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. That's the power of what we're seeing in this document. It's the redemption of the lost inheritance that God intended for man to have. This is significant. Without what's transpiring here, without somebody who could legally see, God, God is a God of law and, and order, right? He, he's not just some God that's haphazard. And the, no, he is a man of his word. And all of these things that we see in the Old Testament, all of these pictures, all of these types and shadows are showing us the picture of his eternal plan. And God's plan is to redeem this planet and to redeem mankind and to come and rule and reign. He will rule and reign. The Lamb of God will rule and reign from a throne in Jerusalem. That's why there is actually so much conflict over that little piece of dirt today. It's the enemy doing everything that he can to try to oppose the plan and purpose of God. As if he's, him setting his little tent up there is going to keep the King of Kings from coming and knocking it over and setting the city of God whose measurement is just so profound that it's mind-blowing, this giant cube of a city that's going to come down, the new Jerusalem. In my father's house are many mansions. It's a whole whole other story. Let's let's look back at Revelation chapter 1. We see in in verse 1 that inside and on the back, it's, it's, it's written on and it's sealed with seven seals. Right? There's no one found in, in verse Two, who's worthy to open this book or to, or to loose the seals of it. And so much weeping in, in, in verse 4. But then the revelation of the lion who becomes the lamb in, in, chapter, in, in verse 5 and, and verse 6. And we see uh, he, he stood as a lamb. This lion stood as a lamb that had been slain. This is Jesus on a cross. This is the real significance of Easter. Resurrection, 
And some people are afraid of the word Easter. I'm really not. If you're afraid of Easter, stop using the word East because they both have the same derivative and it means to rise. I'm not afraid of the word. Right? Resurrection, Easter, whatever you want to call it. The meaning of Easter, the meaning of resurrection is Jesus dying on a cross to redeem sinful man who is in rebellion against him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were rebelling against him, he dies in our place to redeem us and to redeem this earth and to restore the dominion that he intended for us to have. This is the plan and purpose of God. And not only is Jesus going to be in Jerusalem on his throne ruling in this earth, the Lamb of God who stands as one slain, not only is he going to rule from his throne, we are going to rule and reign. And that's the point of this, this message today. We're going, to, we're going to see this as it un, un, unfolds. Uh, and it, we see they begin to worship him as, as you go through verse 7 and verse 8. And then in verse 9, look at this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain. You have purchased back man's lost inheritance by the blood of the Lamb of God. We talked about it last week. Thank God for his blood. It's at the center of this message. Without the blood, and we're going to see this in just a minute, without the, the blood, we have no power and we have no hope of redemption. We are eternally lost without the blood of the Lamb of God. And then in verse 10, this is really, we're going to key in on this before we get out of here today. Verse 10, you have redeemed. There's that word. Like Jeremiah redeemed his cousins there. Jesus has redeemed us and our inheritance. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And let me just say, if you're a racist, you will not like heaven. Because it's going to be every skin color, every tone, every ethnicity, every language, people from every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. That's what the kingdom of God is going to look at, look like. You're going to be miserable if you don't like white people. You're going to be miserable if you don't like black people. You're going to be miserable if you don't like brown people or whatever color. You're going to be miserable if you don't like people from Kentucky. Because there's going to be some Kentuckians. You have redeemed us back to God out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people and nation. And look at this. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Last week, we said we should not fear reading this book because it, one of the first revelations about Jesus is that he loved us and he gave himself for us. We need to remember that this book was written by, by someone who loves us. This prophecy came from someone who loves us. Number one, but number two, we ought to read this book and look with great hope, anticipation, and optimism because there's a plan, and we're a part of that plan. We're not absent from the plan of God. He has made us, he has redeemed us, and made us a kingdom of kings and priests who will rule with the Lamb of God, right? Again, let, let's just blow up your little uh, Roman Greco, whatever you want to call it, Eastern American image of what America is, that you're going to float up into the clouds and there's going to be little fat cherub angels with diapers strumming their harps and singing nice little songs. That is not what heaven looks like. Heaven is coming to earth. All of the nations of this world are going to serve our God and we are going to rule and reign with him and have dominion as God intended from the very beginning. That's what it's going to look like. And so get into this book and begin to read it with excitement as you watch all of these plagues and all of these things that are coming. What, they're not for us. They're not for the righteous. Will we have to endure and persevere through some things? Absolutely, yes. And don't worry about, did it happen a long time ago? Is it happening now or is this something to come? Don't worry about that. You'll miss the point. Some of you all are trying to wonder, when, when, when did this vision in, in Revelation chapter 5 happen? Was this like something that happened a long time ago? Is it happening now? Or is it something that's going to happen in, 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 in the future? Don't worry about that. What's the meaning? What's God through this book trying to communicate to us? If we, got to, if we get into all the symbolisms and trying to figure out and, and demand that it has to have happened here or happened here or happened there, if we start making those demands, we miss the important significance of this book. And because we strain at all these insignificant things, we miss out on the purpose that God has for us. We are here to push back darkness. That's what the cross means. 
And we're going to see that. We are here to push back darkness, to be salt and life on, light on planet Earth. Because of the blood of the Lamb, he has redeemed us and he's made us a kingdom of priests. All right? So why does this matter? Why does this matter? Let's look at it. First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Peter says, you must recognize that you were redeemed. And this is the Amplified. You must know or recognize that you were redeemed or you have been ransomed. And that, that word redeemed, this word redemption, it has, it, it's, it's a slave term. It's about somebody purchasing a slave and setting them free. We were slaves to sin. And Jesus paid that price with his own blood, the sinless lamb of God who never sinned once in his 33 years on planet earth, died in our place that his blood could be the ransom. He has redeemed us. He has ransomed us from the useless, fruitless ways of living inherited by tradition from your forefathers. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased. You weren't bought with money. You were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah. Like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. Are you seeing the significance of the Lamb of God. He died on a cross to redeem us and to, and to restore us into God's eternal plan. And he goes on and he explains this. As you continue to read in Peter, going on down to chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation. Why? Because you have been redeemed, because you were bought with the blood of the Lamb, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And he, go, and he goes on to say that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Are you seeing this? Peter starts talking in chapter 1 about the fact that we are redeemed, and in chapter 2 he's telling us the reason why. You were called to be a God's special people, a holy nation, peculiar, Look at your neighbor and say, you are peculiar. Oh, come on, say it, say it like you're not going to offend him. We're not called here to fit in. We're not called here to be ran over by darkness. We're, we're not called here to just kind of morph into culture. No, we have been ransomed with the precious blood of the Lamb of God with the purpose of showing forth light in darkness, with the purpose of being a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood on planet Earth. See, this is God's plan. Romans chapter 5, we looked at this a little bit last week, but God, this is verse 8, demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We're saved from the wrath of God. I'm afraid to read Revelation because of all of the wrath. I don't care if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. If you're under the blood, we are saved from the wrath. No matter when he calls us up. I decided it doesn't really matter. Just whenever he calls, I'm going to go. I want to be ready. I want to be found in the blood. Amen? Amen. I just want to be ready. However, however this thing unfolds, I want to be ready. We, we will be saved from wrath through him. For if we were the enemies, if, we, if when we, I'm sorry, were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. We have been restored back to God. And what this passage is saying, not only does death save us, does Jesus' death save us from his wrath, but his life also saves us 
from our ruin. So many Christians live ruined lives. They don't understand the work of Calvary. It's what Romans 5 is talking about. The Apostle Paul, at the end of Romans chapter 5, he said, you know, wherever grace abounds, wherever sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. And then he asks a very important question that we American Christians today should ask, should we continue in sin? That grace may abound because wherever there's sin, it abounds. God's grace abounds. What's Paul's answer? He says, no, God, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, that's saving us from the wrath of God. And he has also called us to live as we were resurrected up out of those waters, is the picture, to newness of life. Priesthood is not something that starts in eternity. Priesthood is something for us that starts at new birth. We come out from among them and live differently. We are called to be the children of God, to be salt and light, to be kings and priests. Uh, Listen, Jesus is going to come and set up, and we will rule and reign with him. But in the meantime, we are to have dominion. I believe that. We are to push back darkness. I said it at the beginning of this. Literally, something that's transpiring. I believe that in in, in some supernatural way, that as I declare God's word, that the, the principalities and powers are being affected, that darkness is being pushed back, that somebody's life is being transformed by the life at the entrance of God's word. There is light, the psalmist said. See, this is our role today. To declare, because we are redeemed, because we are purchased with his blood, this is what God's called us to do. We're to be here to occupy. Some of you all think that means sit on the lazy boy. Occupy that little space. Occupy your pew. I'm going to occupy my little house over there in Jeffersonville. No, the word occupy doesn't mean to take up space. It is a military term that means to push back darkness, to take over. God has set us here as kings and priests to push darkness back, to have an effect on the kingdoms of darkness, to raise hell, R-A-Z-E. That means to tear down. We are here with a purpose, and it's to have an effect on the kingdom of darkness. There's so much more I have in these notes I'm going to skip over right now because I realize I'm getting long. I'm going to try to take David Cook's advice, the guy who taught me my homiletics class, or yeah, uh, how, how, how you're, the art of preaching. He said you need to stand up to be seen, speak up to be heard, and sit down to be appreciated. <laughs> so I'm going to try to sit down here soon. We're going to have communion at the end of this. So here's the question. How do we overcome we're here to push back darkness. How, 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 how often does it seem like darkness is really overcoming us? I mean, just be honest. You look at stuff on social media, you look at stuff at school or work, it's easy to get overwhelmed. How do we overcome? How do we overcome? The heart of this book is Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It's one of the most significant verses of Scripture for us as believers to understand how, listen, the book of Revelation is a call for us as the believers to persevere. As Satan wages war, that's happening, and I I think in, in, in the tribulation it will be intensified. Satan is waging war against the people of God, and over and over throughout this book we are encouraged, persevere. It's one of the themes of the book. Persevere. Persevere. How do we do that? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Here's how we have victory over the enemy. This, this, this is in the context of Satan coming down with great wrath, attacking the people of God. And it says that he's given power to conquer them. That literally means to kill them. Listen, there's no promise in Scripture that says when you do the will of God, you live. If that's your theology, try to go explain that to the missionaries who have shed their blood on the missions fields. There's no theology, Bible theology, that says when we do the will of God, it's a guarantee that we're going to live. Satan has been given power, but it's for a time. 
That's why Jesus said, don't fear the one that can destroy your body. Fear the one that has the power to destroy your soul. Right? We need to buck up. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. This one that's been given power to conquer or to kill us. How do we overcome him? By the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Three things we Christians need to get. There's power in the blood. That is not just a, a cliche song. It's not just speaking of power that forgives us of sin. There's power in the blood of Jesus to overcome our enemy, our great enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the dragon, right? There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. There's power in the blood and its significance. And then it says they, they overcome by, so the blood of the lamb, and then by the word of their testimony, quite, quite literally, the, the way that it, it's worded and amplified is, is really the, the best uh, rendering of it into English. It's by the utterance of the word. Right? So your testimony is not, well, I was a drunk and we rambled on for 36 minutes about all of the horrible, wretched things that we used to do. And then at the last second we say, oh, but Jesus saved me. That's my testimony. No, you know what my testimony is? The gospel. Jesus came. He lived. He died a substitutionary death. He died in my place. And he rose. He was buried in the grave and he rose that's my testimony. The word of God. We need to get loaded with the word of God because the way you overcome the, the, the enemy is by the utterance. I, I believe this. God's word is just as powerful in our mouth when we say it the way that he meant it. God's word is a powerful weapon. It's called the sword of the spirit and by it we render, the, 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 we can cut the head of the enemy off. There's power in our testimony. And the Bible says they loved not their lives to the death. NLT says it this way. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. I I, I believe that faith in Jesus sets us free to live a life in such a way that we are not worried about the consequences. I believe that. There is power. Church, hear this. I'm going to wrap up with this thought. There is power in boldness. Most Christians look at the cross. Most people, and I shouldn't say the Christians, most people in the world look at the cross and they see the weak frame of Jesus shuddering, ripped, torn, and they see defeat. But to us, the Lamb of God slain, it ought to embolden us. We are a people purchased with the blood of the Lamb for the purpose of God. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and everyone that believes. The the, the gospel made the Apostle Paul bold. Why, why are we intimidated by school boards? Why are we intimidated by politicians? Why are we intimidated by these hate groups that are out there pushing these wicked, vile agendas? Why are we intimidated? Why can't we just simply stand and be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Boldness, church, brings power. When we step out in the authority of God's word, under the blood of the lamb, we can step out with boldness, and that brings power. You look at this. It's it's coupled together. They overcame by what? The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life. Because of the blood of the lamb, it's all tied together, and because of that, they were a bold people, the people of Revelation, overcoming, and it will be the church, overcoming Satan. There are bold people covered in the blood of the lamb, Declaring the word of testimony, utterance of the word of God, and they're not afraid to die. Like somebody said, it's a, it's a people that are charging the, hates, the, the gates of hell with a water pistol. We're not afraid of what he can do to us. We're not afraid of any of these things. Real quick example of this, Acts chapter 4. What were they doing? They were preaching the lamb. 
It says in, in, in verse 2, they preached Jesus in the resurrection from the dead. They were preaching the Lamb. And the authorities, the Sanhedrin, the Bible says that in, in the next verses, that they laid hands on them and they immediately arrested them. Why? Because they were preaching the Lamb. This world hates the message about the Lamb. Oh, tolerance. Yeah, we'll accept Islam, we'll accept Buddha, we'll accept humanism, anything you want to be, but don't you dare say the name Jesus. Don't you dare come in here preaching that mess about the gospel. There is hatred and animus against this message that we preach. The Sanhedrin, supposed to be a religious council in Jerusalem. Peter and, and the apostles preaching the gospel. And the Bible says, straightway, immediately, they laid hands on them and arrested them. In verse 10, and they, and they tell them, Don't, stop preaching in that name. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 10, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, preached, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. This is a bloody sermon. And he's indicting them for killing the Lamb of God. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. This is the power of the gospel message. This is Easter. This is resurrection. Who God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you. This, this man was healed. The preaching of the gospel, this man's healed. And the Sanhedrin's upset about it. And they said, look, we preach the gospel of Jesus, the one that you crucified, God raised from the dead, and this man got healed. He says, this is the stone, Jesus, the Lamb of God, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven and earth among men whereby we must be saved. This is why it's essential. The enemy hates the name of Jesus, the message about Jesus, the message of the blood, the message of the cross. He hates it and is in violent opposition against it. Because it's the only name where there's salvation. He's come to still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. So he, this is his rebuttal. They, they're, they're saying, stop preaching, and this is his, his response. No. Hey, we, we saw this man healed at the preaching. We, we cannot stop preaching in this name. We fear God more than we fear you, and we will not cease. And then it goes on to say that they were threatened again, twice more, not to preach any longer in the name, and then they were released. Look at what happens. Here's the result of their boldness. They had confidence in the blood. They continue to utter the testimony. And they don't fear their death. They prayed this prayer in verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. They're threatening us. They said they're going to stone us and beat us if we keep preaching in your name. Look upon their threats. Protect us. And, uh, let, you know, if we have to do it quietly over here not to offend people, then we'll move that way. That's not their prayer. Lord, hear their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I said it at the beginning of this. Power follows boldness. Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them all. Church, we lack power, and we lack the grace of God because we lack boldness. This message about the Lamb is the hope of eternity. 
Without it, we have no hope, Paul said. If Jesus, if the Lamb didn't die and resurrect, we have no hope. He said, I'm of all men most miserable if this gospel that I preach is not true. Church, it's time for us to rise up in boldness. That's what this message of the Lamb should do to us. I hope you don't just go home and hunt Easter eggs. Hey, if that's your thing, happy hunting. May we go home and raise hell. May we go home and push back darkness because the Lamb of God is triumphant over all of his enemies. His kingdom is coming. Even so, Lord, come quickly, very soon. Like we used to sing, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. I believe that one day we're going to look up in that eastern sky and we're going to see him and we're going to rise to meet him in the clouds and his kingdom will be established on planet earth. That's the message that we have to take to this world. That's the reality. It's not a a political message. My hope is not in the the, the constitution as great of a thing as that is. My hope is not in America as awesome of a country as this is. It's not in the UN. It's not in man. It's not in any system. My hope is in Christ Jesus and his kingdom which is soon to come every government every nation all of it soon soon is going to be brought under his authority that's the message that God's given us to proclaim he's risen the lamb of God risen the one who is worthy is risen amen and he's brought salvation he's brought salvation let's stand together church Maybe I preached a little too long. We need to hear this. It's time for the church to wake up, shake off lethargy lethargy and apathy. We have the greatest message, the hope for humanity. It's time for us to rise up and do what God's called us to do. Here's the greatest promise I can give you. If you are in Christ, you will win. You'll go through difficulties. You might experience some hard things, but if you are in Christ, you will win. So one thing I'm seeing in this book, I'm encouraged. We used to sing that, remember that song, we win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book and we win. Y'all remember that? Now you see why I'm a preacher, not a singer. We win. I want to give an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, if you are not saved, if you have not committed your life to follow him, if you haven't turned your back on this world to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus, I want to give you an an invitation to respond. That's you. Please come. Come quickly. We're going to take communion here in a second. If you need Jesus, come. Amen. Praise God. I met this young lady right before church. What's your name again? Vanessa, praise God. Vanessa is going to come follow Jesus. Kitty, come here. I want you to meet Kitty. She's going to pray with us.